This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. In the New Testament, of course, as the book of Matthew begins, it opens with the promise that jo- Joseph is told what is supposed to happen. In the promise of the Advent, he says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep. Remember, he was dreaming because the Lord had to kind of convince him of what he needed to do. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, this reality of the Advent that the church for centuries had, re- had taken the time to focus on and to remember, and as a matter of fact, is the center of the hope of the church and is the center of the hope of the gospel. The Advent means the coming, the arrival. And the focus of the church during this time, the Christian church, should be through this season in celebrating not only the birth of Christ as the first advent, but the church has also through history been anticipating the return of Christ the King in his second advent. Amen? So this time, those who know Christ, those who understand what the advent message is about, not only focus on the birth of Christ, But we also focus on the promise that he will come back again soon to take us home. Amen? I mean, talk about that. We are Seventh-day Adventists, right? And that's what it means. It means that we have been waiting, that we understand the reality of Jesus coming into the world, the first Advent, becoming one of us, preparing the work, and then... Also that he will come back again, it points to the second coming that you and I are getting ready. But listen to this, the Advent as a Christian is far more than simply marking a 2,000 year old event in history. It is celebrating a truth about God, the revelation of God in Christ, whereby all creation may be reconciled to God. Amen? So we know that Jesus comes, and he needed to come because we were God's enemies, the human race, right? That includes every single member of the human race was an enemy against God. That's what Paul says, that we were in enmity against God. And so Jesus comes, and he reconciles in his flesh, God in the flesh of a man in Jesus Christ. He comes, and he reconciles the world, humanity, to himself. But not only that, but you and I are in this process participants of reconciling now the world to God. And we look to the consummation of that process by the second coming of Christ when he will come back for a second time. You understand what I'm talking about? What I'm saying, folks, is that the church of Christ understand this season, the advent of Christ, as pointing to the past of the reality that He came, 
God became one of us, the incarnation of Christ, and that He reconciled us to Him, and that now you and I are part of that process, and we're supposed to be reconciling the world to Him too. And in that, we are preparing for the promise of His second coming. And that's the Advent hope. I don't know if you looked up in the dictionary, but there is a, there's actually four words that this Advent season centers on. And you probably know these words. You see them in the New Testament a lot. You sing about them a lot as a Christian church. You've heard the word hope, joy, peace, and love, right? And so in this Advent season, the Christian church turns to the hope of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, and the love of Christ in our lives. Today I just want to talk for the last few minutes that we have together is I want to talk about that hope, the hope of the Advent message. Hope, I looked it up in the dictionary too, and if you looked in Google, right? Now you don't need a dictionary anymore. I mean, a, a hard copy, right? Some of you, some of us still hold on to the hard copies. And I, I like the hard books, you know, the hard copy books, even though they get them on Kindle. And I understand that maybe it just points, it dates me, I guess. <laughs> um, but looked it up in the dictionary online, Google it. And there's more than one dictionary that gives you about, you know, the di different definitions. But a couple of those definitions that I highlighted, it says, hope is a noun, of course, and it says, is the feeling that what is wanted can be had, or that events, listen to this, will turn out for the best. So hope, it says, is the feeling that things will be all right, that things will turn out. For the best is the feeling. I like another definition, and it's the third one down the road of, of the list that I got on, online. It says, is the grounds for this feeling in a particular instance. So one says that is the feeling that we have that things are going to be all right. And let's be honest, you, you and I, if you're in ex human experience, just like I am, We've come to that point in our lives where we needed to feel that things are going to be all right, right? <laughs> you needed that feeling of hope. You've been dealing with your parents. You've been dealing with your children. You've been dealing with your husband or wife or you've been dealing at work. And at some point, you wanted to feel that things are going to be all right no matter how it looks right now, right? You wanted to feel that. So hope is a feeling. That's okay. That's, that's right. But hope, it says here, is also is the grounds for that feeling, which is the basis for you to feel that it's going to be all right. And I believe this begins to get into the Christian hope. It's not only a feeling, but it's the certainty. And, and, and I turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and 1, the biblical definition of hope that says that faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. Remember that? You can look that up in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and you realize that it get, gets into this definition of hope. So in the Bible context, we understand that hope becomes more than a feeling. Hope is based in something real. There are grounds for our hope. Can you say amen? 
We just don't feel that things are going to be turn out all right. Because even if we don't feel it, we understand the grounds, the basis for the fact that things are going to be all right. Can you say amen? So we understand what true hope is. Let's talk about that Advent hope. You know the context of the message of the Advent, the first Advent. Let's dissect that story a little bit and let's, let's see if you begin to get the reality of how things were shaped to be. We have in the Christmas story, in the birth of Jesus, we have a virgin mother, right? A young lady that has not known any men and somehow she's pregnant now by the Holy Spirit, right? It's never happened and it has not, it's never happened before and it has never happened after that. But somehow, this is what we have, a virgin mother. And then we have an unwilling husband. And then, you know, a fiancé who all of a sudden gets a bride that when he met her, she wasn't pregnant. Now she is. So he's not forgiving me. He's not all going home about it. He's saying, yippee, I got a child now. Because... He doesn't know where it's coming from, right? To the point that we come into the story and the angel has to come to him and say, listen, it's going to be all right. He wasn't feeling it, right? He didn't have the feeling because, as a matter of fact, he felt like the rug has been pulled under him. He's like, what's going on here? Then we have, later on, Jesus is born. You know the story of the, of the manger and everything that happened. And, but we have an old man who prophesies that this is the Messiah. An old prophet, an old man. Nobody really knew who he was, but he is Simon the prophet. And so he prophesied, yes, this is the, man of, this is the son of God. And then we have the shepherds who announce the birth. Now, if you're going to go to somebody to ratify and to bring validity to any claim... At that point, you wouldn't go to the shepherds in this story. Especially in that context, because the shepherds, they're not the brightest bunch around. And they weren't even looked up to very well by society. They were looked down to. So the least group, the last group that you go to to ratify the story, to bring validity to it, it will be a bunch of shepherds. Just think, you know, the job of a shepherd, what it is? The job of the shepherd is, right, which, you know how it goes? Man. He sits there. Man. And he passed the night like that. Not a lot of action. Or maybe I see a shadow there on, on the bushes, he says. He gets up and, oh, nothing. Sits back down. Bad. So you don't have to be especially skilled for that. But so they're not, it's not really a group that you go to verify to bring validity. Then we got the Magi's who come from the east who claim that they've been following this star. So the events. And the circumstances around her 
bring to us the question, can this even be possible that it could happen the way they're claiming that it happens? But somehow there is hope in that birth. Somehow, and I tell you why, because the basis for that birth, it was that it was foretold in Scripture just the way it happened. The way things happened will bring questions to our mind and to the society as they looked at it. But if they knew the story, if they knew the Old Testament, if they knew the promises that were given, the prophecies that were given from the beginning, they understand that they, every detail of the story was just unfolding as God had foretold it through the prophets. So the basis for the story were in the scripture. And the basis for the story were giving hope that these things, even though they might not look so good altogether, somehow God has been working out his plan and is coming to the fulfillment just as he's planned it. And then we have after Jesus grows up. And this is because the story doesn't end at the birth. Jesus grows up. He is, um, you know, crucified. After three years of ministry, the followers are disappointed. And then he's resurrected three days after, which he promised he would, right? Again, the story continues to beg the question, is this even possible or believable? Some people have thought about it and say, well, what about if the enemies of Christ... Let's think about the resurrection for a, for, for a moment here. If the, resurrection, if, the, if the enemies of Christ would have taken the body of Christ, right? Because they wanted to crush the hope of the disciples. And so they wanted to put an end to this Christian movement. So they took the body. They would have had to what? For five or ten days later, they wanted to bring it back and say, here it is. There's no resurrection. But the fact is... Nobody produced the body, right? So it wasn't the enemies because they would have, for certain, produced the body. How about if the disciples would have taken the body? What do you think? Could it be possible that they thought, and that was the rumor that was spread around to, to the... As a matter of fact, Jesus had to spend, last time we were together here... I share with you that Jesus had spent 40 days convincing even his own followers that, yes, true, the resurrection was true. I'm here. Yes. Nobody's trying to pull a fast one on you. This is true. It's happening. But if the believer, the disciple of Christ, would have taken the body, you think that they would have sacrificed their lives in the way they did when they became martyrs? Every disciple of Christ that was there during that time was willing to die, reassuring the world that, yes, Jesus has come back to life. I don't believe anybody that would have taken the body would have given the life for something they made up. Would you? So we understand that, yes, the only possible solution, the only possible reality in the Advent story is that it happened just as they claim that it happened. Amen? That it was true. That there was hope for humanity. And Jesus was the hope of the world. That even though things may not be looking as we wanted to look. That God sent his son. 
that in the fulfillment of time, every detail of the promised Messiah was fulfilled. And now Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected. And now he's bringing hope to humanity. As a matter of fact, I want you to, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So that you see that the promise of the Messiah is everywhere, even from the beginning of the story. It was all over. In the, New, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, some people want to divide the old and the new and say that now we only live in the New Testament, that the old doesn't really work anymore, that we have to put that a little bit aside. Well, I got to tell you, the New Testament does not work without the Old Testament. Can you say amen? The only way the New Testament makes sense is if you believe everything that's in the Old Testament. Amen? And as a matter of fact, the fulfillment of every promise, of every prophecy that the Old Testament we're waiting for is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the Advent hope, in his story and the story of the church in the New Testament. Can you say amen for that? And in Genesis 3.15, we find right there, out of the gate in, in, in the story, in the redemption story that begins there. God says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast. Verse 14 I'm reading, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and, and thus you will eat and all the days of your life. But then he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, notice that it points to the he. It changes from, from a plural descendants of the woman between your seed and her seed and his seed becomes a he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So right there from the beginning of the story of the redemption story when Adam and Eve give in into temptation and when we become the enemies of God, God said listen there is a plan. And every plan and, and every detail of this plan will be fulfilled. And God, Jesus, will come and he will bruise the head of the serpent. And there will be a, a, an intent or attempt from the serpent to try to bruise his heel. But make no mistake, this promise will be fulfilled. The gospel will become truth and redemption will come back again to the people of the human race. And so, in the redemption story... In the Bible we find that Jesus, the Advent, is the hope of the human race. Can you say amen to that? As a matter of fact, folks, without Jesus, without Jesus in this world, there will be no hope. And think about your life. Without Jesus in your life, in my life, there will be no hope. Because let's be honest, we may try as far as we can, but without Jesus, there's no hope. He promises in his ministry, as a matter of fact, as he went into his ministry the first three years, wherever he went, he brought healing, he brought hope, he brought redemption to people from darkness to light. Everyone that will meet him in his path, we will give him a second chance. He will give him a new beginning. And Jesus became the hope of his context there of this New Testament church. And not only that, but he pointed to the second coming now because after he ascended and resurrected and ascended, then he said, I will come back again. Amen. And so we know the past hope 
that he came and he was became one of us and that gave us hope. But then he also points to the future because he's coming back and this is not all that we live. This is not all the experience that we will have on this on our existence, on our life, because we're hoping for more than this life. Can you say amen? Because, and it's not just a feeling, but it's the basis for that feeling. Can you say amen? It's not about how you feel. I don't want you to, I mean, hope, you got to feel hope, amen? But there's got to be basis for that feeling, for your hope in your life. And the basis is the Son of God. And the plan of redemption working out in your life. Can you say amen to that? The hope of your life is Jesus today. The hope of the world is Jesus today. I don't know about you, but I remember one of my favorite stories is that one of the women that they bring to Jesus in his ministry. And if there's someone that comes to Jesus without hope, is this woman. Can you agree with that? I mean, they caught, her, they caught her in the act of adultery. By the law, she was supposed to be executed at that point. They come to Jesus and they ask the question, what should we do? And notice that they're trying to trap him because they've all been looking for a way to Trap Jesus. And so they said, we got it. This is it. Let's bring it to him and see what he does. And if you were the woman, what would you be expecting of the rabbi? I submit to you that the woman came and she was hopeless. To the point that, I don't know if you notice in the story, but she does not even notice when nobody's around anymore. You notice that? I mean, the story tells us that Jesus had to tell her, hey, woman, look around. There's nobody else around. Because I believe she was so hopeless that she didn't even dare to open her eyes. All she was waiting is that stone that was coming. As many, she just knew that the next thing she will feel in her head, in her mind, in her body is just this rush of stones coming down to her because she knew what she has done. And you know the story. Because Jesus called her attention and says, woman, look around, open your eyes. There's hope for you too. Go, he says. And now live in hope. And do you know that that woman became an agent of hope? Everywhere she went, all she could talk about is the hope of Jesus in her life. To the point that later on we find out in the Gospels that she does an act that everybody remembers forever. And you and I are talking about her today. And every moment that somebody needs hope, she becomes one of the best examples for us to understand that no matter where you are, Jesus could bring you hope.